As we jump back into Ephesians, it would be helpful to review to some degree, remembering that this letter was an expression of Paul's ministry to the Christians in Ephesus, having spent some two, maybe even three years with them in person. Paul taught them for many hours every day. He taught them sound doctrine. All the while, in Ephesus, the Artemis cult was prevalent. Many, many worshippers of the goddess Artemis would go and worship her at the temple every day. Meanwhile, Paul would teach those who had been born again. And one of his main concerns was to impress upon them the need not to fear those pagan worshippers, not to fear in light of any pressure that might come their way, but to understand that they are the real temple, that they are the people of God, and that through their obedience, God would honor them. As we read through Ephesians, seemingly there are no issues in the church, at least not at this stage of the writing of Paul's letter. It seems like these six chapters are simply an expression of the doctrine that he taught them when he was with them. You can think of Ephesians as a condensed version of his teaching to the saints that he had given them over the course of those several years. And you'll remember chapter 1 is such a wonderfully rich chapter, a long extended eulogy where Paul expounds the blessings of being in Christ. His exhortation is that they would bless the Father in response to the blessings they have received. If you want to know what it means to be found in Christ, there are few better places in Scripture to turn to than Ephesians 1. We then move into Ephesians 2 and 3, and Paul moves from the individual blessings to the corporate blessings. The emphasis very much in chapters 2 and 3 is on the unity that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ. In particular, as you'll remember, Paul is eager to remind them that whereas they were once Jew and Gentile, living completely separate lives, having no need to speak to one another, far less share their very lives with one another. Now they are found as brother and sister in Christ, one new creation through the gospel. We get then finally to chapter 4, and it is a turning point in the letter. Paul at chapter 4 moves from laying the foundation to speaking about the responsibility or the implication of being found in Christ. You can think of Ephesians broadly speaking in two halves, one, two, and three. Here's the theological truth of your salvation, especially as it relates to you being in the church. Chapters four, five, and six, here's how you respond. Here are the implications for your lives practically day by day. Foremost amongst those implications is very simply that now you ought to think like a Christian. Foremost amongst the responsibilities that come with being in Christ is that you think like a Christian. 
The reason Paul labors that, especially in verses 17 and following of chapter 4, is because, as we've noted a number of times, your every action is only ever an outworking of your thoughts. Your actions, your behavior, your words are only ever downstream of thoughts that you have previously thought. And so it is critical if we are to walk like a Christian, if we are to not walk as the Gentiles do, that we are first and foremost to think biblically. And you remember, Paul says in verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's the connection that he establishes between thought life and behavior. We spent some time over the last few weeks considering what it means to think like a Christian, what it means to develop a biblical worldview. And one thing I'll say again, just by way of reminder, is that the Christian is to be a student, and central to your life is to be the meditative life. Central to any Christian's daily practice routine is to be the discipline of meditation, setting your minds upon the truths of Scripture. It is through the habitual, persistent, setting your mind upon the truth of Scripture that you learn to walk in a way that honors God. Do not think that if you aren't in the practice of meditating upon God's Word, that you will consistently honor God with your behavior. It starts first in the mind. Now, from there... Paul now, in verses 25 through 32, looks at what that behavior, what that behavior is. Assuming that you've heeded his exhortations in the previous section, and you understand the responsibility that you have as a Christian to think biblically, here's then how your feet should follow. The title of the sermon is Following Your Thoughts Like a Christian. You think upon the gospel. You think upon what is true. That's a discipline that you pursue daily. And then you allow that to affect your behavior, your actions. And Paul gives five imperatives in total in this section that we'll break down and We'll cover just the first three this evening. Central to all of the imperatives he gives is the principle of truth or truthful living. And the reason for that, again, it connects to the previous passage, is because, as you'll remember, in verse 21, he said, you have learned Christ, you heard about him and were taught in him. And then he adds that important clause, the truth is in Jesus. You learned him, you apprehended him, as we heard tonight through testimonies. You apprehended Christ savingly, you kept learning about him, and all the while there is an understanding that the truth is in him. It's not that Paul says Jesus says what is true. 
though that is factually accurate. He says so much more than that, the truth is found in Jesus Christ. Now just consider the implications. The truth 